we've been um, looking at, we, we, we took on um, Guy Miller's uh, provocation to us. He said, you know, they'd rarely heard people preaching on the, the Beatitudes. And he said, it'd be good for churches to do that. So we said, okay, we'll, we'll do that. We'll take up that challenge. And we've entitled it The Flourishing Life. You know, the word blessed could mean flourishing might be a better way of putting it. And we're at verse 6, and it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, and we here are, I think, for the most part, well-fed and provided for. Um, you know, real hunger and real thirst are generally not our experience. Uh, you know, I, I, I say that with a, with a sort of a caveat. I know that increasingly in our society, there are those who do know hunger. You know, there are those who are reliant on food banks. There are those who go without so that they can feed their children. Um, we know that that happens. And of course, we see on the news, you know, been, we've been seeing pictures of Yemen and the starving that is is going on there, and dreadful experiences of, of starvation in different other places. So, so real hunger and real thirst do happen. But I think for the most part, for us, hunger and thirst is a momentary thing. But it's enough for us to know that we don't like it very much. You know, mostly we know when our next meal is going to come and where it is. But we know that when we do have hunger and when we are thirsty, it's not particularly pleasant. So it does seem a bit odd, therefore, for, for the Lord to say that you're blessed if you're hungry and thirsty. It seems an odd thing to say because we don't feel particularly blessed, do we, when we're hungry and when we're thirsty. But yet Jesus says, we'll, we're flourishing. It will go well for us, is another way of putting it. It will go well for us if we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It will go well for us if we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Now, of course, there's a possible interpretation of that. You could take that to mean that if we go without... If we set aside food and if we set aside drink and if we make ourselves hungry and we make ourselves thirsty in order to focus on being more righteous, you know, hungry and thirsting, making ourselves hungry, making ourselves thirsty for being righteous, then in some way we'll be blessed. But, you know, that isn't New Testament teaching and that isn't grace teaching. You know, there is nothing that we can do to increase our righteousness. Going without, in some sort of pious way, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do without food. I'm going to do without drink. It will make me more righteous. No, it won't. Because our righteousness has already been given to us by Jesus by his sacrificial death on the cross, bearing our sins upon himself, giving us his righteousness. On the cross, we gave him our sins. He gave us his righteousness. 
we cannot become any more righteous than Jesus has already made us. So if we have in, when we read this thing, blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you think in that, that will make me more righteous. No, it won't. That You've got that wrong. That's not what this means. It doesn't mean that the hungering and thirsting will make us more righteous. Going without does not affect the righteousness that God has given us. Whatever the benefits are, there are to fasting, and certainly Scripture indicates that fasting is good to do on occasions, whatever the benefits are, making us more righteous is not one of them. We are righteous in Jesus Christ because we have received that righteousness from him by faith through his sacrifice. So what does the reference to hungering and thirsting mean? Does it mean hungering for food and thirsting for drink? Do we literally need to be hungry and thirsty? Or is it a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness? A hungering for righteousness, a thirsting for righteousness. You know, there are numerous references and accounts throughout the Old and New Testament of God being our provider, of God stepping in, being our provider. He's the one who blesses us with food and wine. You know, the Bible speaks of heavenly banquets to come, an earthly manner in the history of God's people. God provided manna in the wilderness for, for God's people in the past. And the scriptures talk in the future about banquets in the age to come. God provides. Let me read to you a few scriptures. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, it says this. He humbled you. This is talking to God's people in the Old Testament. He humbled you causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15, it makes reference to the same event. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. God, we've seen in times past in the history of Israel, God has fed his people. When they've been hungry, when they've been thirsty, he has fed them. And we see these prophetic statements in Isaiah 49, verse 10. It says, they will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. And then in Revelation, right at the end of Scripture, in the New Testament, Revelation 7, verse 16, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. It's almost a repeat, actually, of the Isaiah. You know, the sun will not beat down, there'll be no scorching heat, they'll never be thirsty, they'll never hunger. 
the time in the age to come. So we can see that God is aware of our physical hunger and thirst. We've seen many times, you read it in scripture, God is aware of his people. He's aware of the cry of his people when they have been hungry and thirsty. And he's provided. And, and he's used it to draw men and women back to him. He's used those, the times of hunger for them to come to him and call out to him. And he has come to them and met with them. In, you know, indeed, it wouldn't be unreasonable to say that God's heart is towards those who are hungry and thirsty. You would see that in many scriptures throughout the Old Testament. God's heart being turned towards those who are hungry and thirsty. And we see an end time promise in Isaiah, and as I say, repeated almost word for word in Revelation, that there will come a time when we will never hunger or thirst again and never have that, the hot sun beating down on us, draining us. So God has used hunger and thirst in the past and promises to end hunger and thirst in the age to come. But what about the here and now? What about us? You know, it's certainly true that hunger and thirst can be very motivating. We will do whatever we can to try to not be hungry and to try to not be thirsty. Let's look at John chapter 6, verses 25 to 58. I'll read it from there then. It's better. Oh, it's come out. Oh, hang on a second. The connection has come out. Yeah, okay. Sorry about that. I wanted to. Yeah. So I just want to keep it because if I read it from the, if I read it from my Bible, it might be slightly different from what's on the screen. So it's better if I read it from the screen. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, that's working great. Thank you. It says this now. Just to say, um, this is uh, in this passage. Jesus has just fed the five thousand. Okay, and then he's gone across the lake, uh, you know, to get away from the crowd. But the crowd come looking for him. And as Jesus points out, they haven't come because he's a miracle-working God. They've simply come because they want another free meal, because they're hungry. And Jesus says this, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are not looking for me. So you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're still looking for a free meal. Still looking for a free meal. 
Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last, at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mother and father we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. But no one has seen the Father except the one who is from the Father. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live 
forever. This passage really is the true context of the flourishing verse that we read. Flourishing, you will be flourishing if you hunger and thirst for righteousness because you will be filled. You will be flourishing if you hunger and thirst for Jesus' righteousness. If you hunger for Jesus. Jesus clearly says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's a paradox. If we hunger and thirst for the right thing, then we'll never be hungry and thirsty. If you hunger, you won't be hungry. And if you thirst, you won't be thirsty. Bit weird, isn't it? It's a paradox. It's, it's true. If we hunger for Jesus, we will never be hungry. If we thirst for Jesus, we will never be thirsty. Not in that, in that right sense. We're blessed. We're flourishing. It will go well for us when we come to a place of realization that we have an indefinable hunger within us, an unquenchable thirst that nothing in this world can satisfy. Only God himself. Many never recognize this hunger and thirst within them. Many people out there will never realize this hunger and thirst. The yearnings that people have within them are just put down to, well, it's just normal life. It's just how it is. That's what people think. You know, we sometimes say, don't we, that everybody has a God-shaped hole inside them that only God can fill. And many try to fill it with other things, other things of life, materialism, all sorts of things that people try to fill that hole with. But it never satisfied. They're never satisfied. It never gets filled. The only thing that fills that God-shaped hole is God himself. And that's, that's us. We as Christians, we are those who've come to realize that this indefinable hunger and thirst within us is actually a hunger and thirst for the living God, for God himself. The psalmist writes in, in Psalm 42, he says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? When can I go and meet with God? That is a flourishing question. That is a question about being flourishing. When can I go and meet with God? You know, the heart behind that question is a heart that has understood the hunger and the thirst of the soul to know and meet with God. When can I go and meet with God? You know, if you don't know Jesus this morning, 
But you're beginning to identify that inner hunger and thirst within you. You're beginning to realize there is something missing. Everything I've tried does not still make me feel complete. Then this, the passage I've read says, come to Jesus. Come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the one whom God has sent. Jesus says that you will never be hungry and never be thirsty again. Now, you may experience physical hunger and thirst for food and water at times, but you will never again have that hunger, that inner hunger of the soul. That will be eternally satisfied in Jesus. And if you do know Jesus, then I'd say keep asking that question as you go about your daily life. When can I go and meet with God? Make time to meet with God. Make time to meet with God in his word. I say it to myself as much as I say it to you. Make time to meet with God in his word. We read earlier and Jesus repeated it. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'd read the Deuteronomy passage earlier. Jesus repeats it. Make time to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. You know, the word of God is what feeds us. The spirit of God is the living water that flows out of our innermost being. Make time. You know, um, Teresa and I, well, Teresa and I go sometimes to Slimming World, okay? So very appropriate talking about hunger and thirsting, isn't it? Um, and we find that actually it works for us not so much. It's not so much about what we eat, because obviously it is that, but what works is when we sit down and plan and are intentional about planning what we're going to eat through that week. If we plan a healthy diet, we stick to it, and actually we end up you know, getting healthier. If we don't plan, it's going, oh, what can we do today? Oh, I don't feel like mm, faffing around. Let's have pizza or whatever you know if we plan it works we so many times have done the marriage course with people and one of the things about the marriage course is the date night and one of the things that we so often fail to do is to plan our date night and I don't mean just that a day, you know, because we can do that. I say, right, Wednesday, free, yeah, we'll have a date night. But we don't plan what we're going to do with it. And so it kind of ends up being wasted. Um, we don't do anything that's too constructive with it that we could have done and really enjoyed being together. And we enjoy being together. Of course we do. <laughs> oh, <whatever>. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> don't stop digging. Stop digging. Um, <laughs> but if we plan, 
we actually do something. We think that was great, wasn't it? It was great to be doing. It was really good to do that. And we we need to plan. We you know we, if we plan, what if those principles work in other areas of our life? They actually also work in spending time with God. If we plan, and I'm saying this to me as much as to you, I really am, honestly. If we plan, if we're intentional, when can I go and meet with God? It will happen. If it's kind of just left, the busyness of life crowds in. If there's a simple message this morning, and it is a simple message, it is make time. When can I go and meet with God? Make time to be with God. But plan it, be intentional about it. So, as I say, when you became a Christian, you had that inner hunger satisfied forever. You knew that life's deepest yearnings and longings had been eternally met in Jesus. But you know, that doesn't stop your tummy rumbling at times. And I don't mean that your literal tummy rumbling. We all know that happens. But I mean your spiritual tummy rumbling. You know, you know that you're, you've been eternally satisfied in Jesus, but sometimes your tummy rumbles. You know, times when the busyness of life crowds in and prevents you from meeting with God. And times when problems and difficulties seem to overwhelm you, and for a brief moment, you forget where you need to turn to for your help. I didn't know that Teresa was going to read Psalm 121. Where does my help come from? But we forget sometimes, where does our help come from? You know, and, and that crowds in. And hopefully when that happens, you need to allow that tummy rumbling in the spirit to take you back to the question, when can I go and meet with God? When can I go and meet with God? This Wednesday, we've got prayer meeting. The following Wednesday, if you've got Connect Group, I'd say if you get an opportunity, talk together and hold one another accountable, not in a legalistic way, but just help one another. When are you finding time to meet with God? Well, actually, I've been really busy this week. Okay, well, let's try and do, let's see if we can set out a time next week when you might be able to meet with God. Let's see what we can do together. Let's encourage one another. Let's be intentional about, let's meet with God. Let's meet with God. When can I meet with God? Help one another in that. Because we all find it difficult. You know, it's not just you, honestly. If you think, oh, it's only me, everyone else is wonderful, everyone else is a really holy Christian that spends loads of time with Jesus, actually, no, it's not true. Sadly, but it's not true. But we can help one another, can't we? We can help one another. We all struggle in the busyness of things to find that time to be with Jesus. Okay. Jesus said, you are not only flourishing when you come to a place of hunger and thirst for more of Jesus. But he also says, you will be filled. You know, it says in the other passage that I read, you know, they, they had their bread and was, they were filled. You came to me, Jesus said, because I gave you bread and you were filled. 
They didn't last long. They were hungry again. But this filling is different. The physical bread that we eat, the miracle bread that the people of Israel ate, the manna from heaven, they still leave us hungry. But the bread of heaven and the water of life that God gives to us in Jesus will fill us and give us eternal life. You know, Jesus puts it in a really outrageous way. It sounds outrageous to us. It was even more outrageous to the hearers. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Sounds a bit gory, doesn't it? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He went on to say, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, we know that they found that statement hard to swallow, excuse the pun, but they did. But we, in hindsight, obviously, we know exactly what he's referring to when he talks about his flesh and his blood. We know exactly what he's talking about. We know how we can eat and drink of him as we take communion together, as we're going to do in just a moment. If you've never believed on Jesus, you can come to him and you can do it today. If you've never believed on Jesus, come to me, believe in me. This is to do the work of God, to believe in him whom God has sent. You know, we can dress it up. Oh, we, we've got to do all sorts of things. We've got to do good deeds. We've got to be good. We've got to please God. We've got to do all sorts of things. And Jesus says, to do the work of God is to believe in the one that God has sent. That's to do the work of God. That's what we do. We believe. And that's the faith that saves us. If you've never done that, you can do it today. For others, if you know the Lord already, just keep on asking the question, when can I go and meet with God and make time to meet with God? Be intentional about it. Read his word. Be filled with his spirit. Let us be flourishing. Remember the theme of this is the flourishing life. <laughs> Let us be flourishing in our lives as we hunger and thirst for the righteousness that comes from believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, let us, in a simple act of obedience, take the bread and the wine, it's juice, in fact, as symbols of his flesh and blood. Flesh torn for us, blood poured out for us, symbols of the flesh um, that we're told to eat and the blood 